Welcome to episode 11 of The Complete Shostov Kishlovsky. I'm uh, Matt Gasteyer, and uh, I'm here as usual with my co-host, Travis Trudell. How are you today, Travis? I'm doing well. A little tired, but I think it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Travis pulled an, uh, an all-nighter on the production that he's working on, and so we are, uh, we are fortunate that he... Um, has sacrificed his health and well-being for us today um, so that uh, we can talk about a short film about love and uh, episode six of the Decalogue. Uh, as with the previous episode, we'll be talking about just the one episode of the Decalogue and then the uh, expanded version that was made uh, to secure more funding for the Decalogue. And uh, this is the, the pick that the, the tour uh, movie studio selected as the episode that they would like to expand into a feature-length film. Uh, Act of Killing was released before the Decalogue or put into festivals, and this was afterwards. So ostensibly, if you lived in Poland and watched the Decalogue, you would have seen the episode first. And um, this is pretty different. Uh, it's a pretty pretty big shift, I think, uh, which we will discuss. And the person that we will be discussing it with is the wonderful David Blakesley, who we're happy to have back on the show. How are you today, David? I'm really uh, feeling great and very excited to be back with you guys. And uh, really looking forward to hearing your comments and uh, you know, just back in the groove here on The Complete. Uh, we did a 2001 episode a while back which still lingers in memory, and I'm happy to pick <laughs> up where we left off. I think we're still recording it, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> in an alternate universe, yeah. we never stopped, right? <laughs> um, you, uh, of course, host the uh, Criterion Reflections podcast on the great Criterion Cast uh, podcast network, and um, you took a little break uh, to do some traveling, but you are back recently. Do you want to plug any of your uh, recent episodes? Yeah, yeah. For people maybe who don't know about my show, there might be a few listeners uh, who connected with this one, but not mine. I, I'm going through the chron- criteria, yeah, the, through the Criterion Collection chronologically, and uh, I've started this back in 2009, and uh, with Nanook of the North, and now I'm up to 1971. So I, I talk about anything that's Criterion related, whether it's on disc or on the streaming uh, Criterion channel. Uh, laser disc titles, etc. So I just published an episode this morning on The Widow Kuderk, which is a 1971 film uh, that has only released on the Criterion channel, and it's going to be expiring on September 30th. Kind of a minor film uh, starring Simone Signoret and Alain Delon. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of dig deep into the catalog here, and it's just a, a whimsy that I had a decade plus ago. Uh, let's just go through the whole Criterion collection in chronological order, and it started as a blog, turned into a podcast and since then i've done uh, the tales of beatrix potter another uh, 1971 streaming only release as well as uh, episodes on clute and i've got another one coming up on uh, fata morgana an early werner herzog film and then the, the decameron which is of course part of that uh, wonderful pasolini box set um, you know that'll be coming up a little bit later as well so yeah that's what i do i, I kind of talk about uh, criterion films of all different sorts and uh yes yeah, nice here i mean this is definitely in the criterion collection but a little bit out of my normal timeline so nice little change of pace for me well and the decalogue is uh you know the decameron is another example of a 
seemingly religious space text that mm-hmm. is maybe not so uh not so religious after all <laughs> earthy you might say <laughs> and i think that's yeah. kind of a adjective that fits for uh, what we're going to be discussing uh, in this particular episode you can bank this episode and use clips of it to cover yourself later so you actually you're getting like a twofer in this one david you that's can use a good this point one as a day off kind of <laughs> yeah i i definitely will just Post a link and that'll be that. <laughs> yeah, you can, well, you can you can re-record the introduction and just have us. Well, I'll I'll fill you in right now. Thanks for having us, David. Awesome. I'm so <laughs> super excited to be here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so uh, the first thing uh, we do around these parts, uh, as you experienced uh, in our Kubrick season, is um, to have our guest uh, go through the ordeal of uh, describing their relationship with uh, Kieślowski and um, how how you came to the director and sort of how your your feelings and relationship with uh, his films have evolved over uh, the course of your uh, movie watching lifetime. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, um, I will say probably I am not fully immersed in the world of Kieślowski, um, but I. I admire appreciate respect i mean all those kind of tributary uh you know terms that you want to throw at a director who clearly does great work and is very insightful uh beyond just his technical abilities he's a he seems like a very wise compassionate human being and uh, a person who has interesting substantial things to say um my first encounter with with Kieslowski, I very have a very distinct memory of a conversation I had with a coworker back in the '90s. It was a woman who had just just said she had just gotten the Decalogue on DVD, and she she sort of stated it as if that was just sort of a known, assumed thing that everybody knew what the Decalogue was. And of course, well, the Decalogue, well, that's the Ten Commandments. That's like a Bible movie or something, you know? And I, and I work for a, a social service agency that, you know, comes from a Christian perspective, kind of a faith-based social service agency. So I kind of thought, well, this is, must be some kind of religious type of, you know, adaptation of the Ten Commandments, not the Cecil B. DeMille or anything like that. But so that kind of, you know, just kind of the confidence of her announcement there uh, kind of it, it intrigued me. So I looked into it, and that was the what was it facets? What was the old uh, version of that? The, the the original DVD release of this film? Uh, I think it was Kino, maybe Kino. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I, I actually found a copy, borrowed it from the library, and just popped it in. It's like, whoa, this is <laughs> this is not your grandma's religious uh, adaptation of the Ten Commandments. So, uh, but I, I didn't. I don't think I watched all ten of them. But I watched several and just kind of got my first impression. So, well, this is interesting. But of course, this is this is well before I had become a you know what I would sort of consider a cinephile of any sort. I, I always liked movies and I'd seen a lot of interesting offbeat movies, but I had never really immersed myself in the um, kind of study and prolonged reflection upon them that uh, has been kind of characteristic of my life for the last you know 15 years or so. Uh, but anyways, I kind of filed it away for future reference. And then uh, I think when I started really getting deeply serious about Criterion and really interested in in understanding more about what made this Criterion collection kind of this distinct body of, of cinematic work, uh, early in, in kind of discovering like DVD Beaver, I, re- I remember right around the time that the original DVD of The Double Life of Veronique was released, uh, that kind of caught my attention. Um, I mean, uh, first the beauty of the actress and, and just the um, the 
kind of the, the screen caps that Gary Tuzzi puts on there and, and just this intriguing sounding story about these kind of <laughs> duplicate women, you know, living their parallel lives uh, in different parts of Europe and then their paths cross. That just seemed like a really intriguing concept for me. And so, yeah, I got that DVD pretty early on when I was just building my Criterion collection. And then, uh, you know, since then, it's just been kind of a process of gradual discovery. You got the three colors um, when that came out, uh, you know, as a Criterion box set. Watched that. Actually did a, a, a couple of episodes on the old uh, Auteurs podcast, which is a little bit of a predecessor of what you guys are doing as the complete here. Right. Uh, Rudy Obias and West Anthony and I, uh, we talked about... I think we did Three Colors Blue, and then I did a kind of a summary episode with them, kind of talking about the entire set. And so, you know, I've, I've watched these films, I, I think the world of them, but I've never done like the sort of sustained deep dive. And it's probably because I've been so engrossed in older Criterion films. I mean, he's a 80s and 90s director rather than a you know, 60s and 70s, where I've been spending so much time kind of hanging out cinematically over the past uh, however many years. So when I get a chance to step out of my, you know, disciplined habit here, um, I feel like yeah, Kieslowski is one of the, the major directors of his era, uh, and it's kind of nice to, you know, kind of maybe approach his work a little bit more piecemeal than what you guys are doing, but I definitely appreciate what he's doing here, uh, and and really in in uh, establishing a, a very significant body of work, obviously. He lived life pretty hard and fast and intensely and, and left this world much sooner than any of us would have wished. But what an incredible uh, collection of films he put together. And I still have a lot yet to discover, including most of the stuff that you guys have spent your you know previous run-up to the Decalogue uh, watching and, and talking about here on this, epi- uh, on this podcast. And I think you did a... Um... A Double Life of Veronique uh, Criterion Cast main episode. Is that right? That is true. Yeah, that's right. I kind yeah, of with, I think with Scott and, and Trevor. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Our yeah. kind of our usual crew for the main episodes there. You're right. Yeah, that, yeah, that so was several people, years ago. People want a sneak sneak preview of uh, of that that film. Uh, I, I recommend the episode. I, I, I haven't listened to it in a, a few years, but I remember it being a very good listen. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, well, that that was that was a great uh, sort of overview of uh, the. Um, I, I think it's interesting, you know. You're you have this um, kind of deep engagement with the era of film right prior to Kieślowski starting to make movies, mm-hmm. um, and you also have this uh, religious background of, mm-hmm. of the work that you uh, that you do, and I'm sure. Um, a personal relationship with it as well. So, um, a lot of, I think what is coming to bear in, in these films is, is that same dual background that, that Kieślowski experienced, uh, growing up. So, um, it's, uh, an interesting, uh, film to approach from those perspectives, I think. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is episode six, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. So this is kind of the sexuality <laughs> commandment slash episode if you will and uh what a what a fascinating example i mean he could have gone in so many different directions um in terms of you know even uh, what is adultery what is fidelity you know what is monogamy versus uh you know some kind of breaking of uh of a vow i mean if you think thou shalt not commit adultery is that about you know 
stepping out when you're married and committed and cheating you know that's i think that's kind of the conventional right understanding of of our culture and and not just western usa culture but european culture and, and perhaps others as well uh this is not really about a violation of marriage vows this is about uh a different uh you know well as as the as the 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 feature release calls it a short film about love it's about the old the whole concept of love and erotic attraction as it spilled over into obsession and then at some point you know a, a form of commitment develops between our our two main characters but it's certainly not the conventional take on what a committed relationship looks like uh so I, yeah i'm really i'm really eager to hear your thoughts and, and kind of um, you know pick this thing apart because we've really got you know kind of kind of a foundation of of common material that branches off in two very distinct directions uh, yeah no i mean i think um i think it's interesting that in most of uh these episodes of of this series the the this this commandment could be applied to perhaps more of the episodes than any other commandment uh it's it's a very it's a very recurring theme through uh through the film and through through each episode so um no not each episode but through many of the episodes um and it's interesting that this episode which is really i mean i think there's probably uh other commandments you could uh apply to this loose very loosely but this is you know it, it seems like that's the only commandment that this episode is about and yet as you mentioned it seems most disconnected from the specific thing especially if you compare it to something like an act of killing or a short film about killing where um it's so quite literally about that commandment and exploring the implications of it um, and, and the meaning of, of you know, ki uh, killing somebody. Um, here, uh, the, the adultery uh, concept is very loosely applied. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot more coveting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, within That's this episode, than there is oh, the yeah. adultery, but it's true. A lot of like like we've talked about as we've progressed through these films, is there there is a lot of uh, uh, in, uh, loose uh, interweaving of all the commandments within each episode uh, per se, and you know it doesn't really always focus laser sharp on that one commandment, which is kind of good because you know it's. It's almost yeah. if you wanted if you wanted to kind of bring it back to the Bible, it is kind of saying you should be following all these commandments at the same time. Don't just focus on the one. And you know, it is uh, this one doesn't focus so much on adultery, but it does kind of have this feeling of they're in a relationship. She just doesn't know it, and so what she's doing is is adulterous to. Uh, in his eyes, you know what I mean? Like that's kind yeah. of what mm. the the feeling is for me about that concept of adultery in this film. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that um, for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think to begin, I, I don't want to compare this too much to the, the short film about killing, although I'm sure it will come up. But um, the one thing I wanted to, to point out um, before we get into our initial thoughts on the, on the movie is just... Um, how interesting the comparison is in terms of building out 
um, this this episode into a feature length when you compare it to uh, the previous episode. Um, in in the previous episode, there's a little bit more um, character detail. There's a couple of plot elements that have shifted, and then the primary difference is just the expansion of this world and of the implications of the um, the acts. Um, and that difference was initially part of the construction here. Uh, Kieślowski mentions in his uh, interviews that he had shot an enormous amount of footage building out the world around these characters uh, and just sort of setting up the everyday life that, that is around them and uh, eliminated practically all of it for uh, the feature and for the episode and really just focused um, entirely on these characters. Um, it's really three characters, the, the two of them and then the, uh, the mother of uh, slash landlady, the mother of his friend slash his landlady um, who, are, who are interacting. Um, and that difference to me makes this film uh, seem much more similar to its episode than um, the two versions of episode five do. And yet at the same time, episode five and the short film about killing have pretty much exactly the same story, exactly the same kind of, um, things that happen. The ending is different, but it's still the same implications of the ending. Whereas here, um, and of course for everybody who knows the show, we will be getting deep into spoilers here. Um, the two endings are extremely different and I think the implications of them are different and they make the meanings of the works, uh, extremely different, uh, and, and, and position this work very differently in Kieślowski's catalog, I think. Um, and it's interesting to me that, that, a short film about killing was released before and love was released after, because I think this points the way forward so clearly for the rest of Kieślowski's career. Um, so that, that's kind of like my initial kind of positioning of this, uh, and sort of how I see these two, uh, working together. But, um, David, I'm curious kind of what your initial thoughts on this, uh, both this story, uh, you know, from a bird's eye perspective, and then mm-hmm. um, the two works, uh, both in terms of how you felt about each one of them and kind of how they interacted. Yeah, let's talk about that bird's eye perspective. I should probably say I did watch the entire Decalogue, kind of jumping back momentarily to my relationship with Kozlowski. I watched the whole Decalogue, the Criterion version of that set. Uh, when it first came out, just just the ten episodes, I did not watch mm-hmm. the two short films. So just to kind of fill that piece in here, and likewise for this episode, I really have not done a lot of you know catching up. I, I'm really just kind of coming at episode six and a short film about love as almost like two standalone works, obviously with a lot in common, but uh, you know haven't really you know immersed myself again back in the Decalogue as a whole. So. Uh, and for for better or worse, that's that's where I'm coming from here. So yeah, my my perspective on this is that I believe the diverging 
conclusions, maybe this is a little bit of my <laughs> bottom line assessment, but I'll certainly unpack it some more, is that in, in showing these characters interacting and then almost kind of splitting off in two parallel universes, um, Kozlowski is really talking about the nature of love and that and that love is an ongoing process. It's not like a once-for-all declaration and that settles it. It, it requires kind of a, a mutual returning day by day, moment by moment of the two people in relationship. And once one of them steps out and ends it, that's it. I mean, the, the other person may still have longings and yearnings and obsessions and curiosities and, and, and all of that, but love no longer exists when it's not part of a dyad. It's not part of a, a, a mutual connection there. And and so it's the fragility of love and the, the just the very tenuous nature of what keeps two people connected in this very special form of relationship that I think he's exploring here. And by choosing to build this uh, narrative around you know, what looks like almost like a very creepy, menacing type of relationship, um, starting from the young man to the woman. And then actually in the, in the film version in particular, uh, from the woman back to the young man, uh, this isn't the conventional notion of what a society would say, yeah, that constitutes, you know, quote unquote, real love or true love. And yet that you know that connection is is still very palpable and very powerful and 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 kind of becomes sort of the basis of where their life is focused and so by portraying you know love in this slightly dysfunctional but still unquestionably um, powerful portrayal i think he's he's connecting with um you know viewers who are kind of receptive to his message and saying well where does love function in my life and and how do I manage that and uh, you know and then of course it's just a fascinating story because you can look at the individual characters as kind of repressed awkward young man just kind of coming into his own as a young adult uh, understanding perhaps in a very fumbling way his own sexuality and then this woman certainly more mature more seasoned uh, she's been through multiple partners uh, she's also an artist. It, it's kind of more of a side note in terms of her creative process. But you know, she's a a, a person of, of of kind of a a looser, more maybe postmodern type of morality. And um, and and how does she respond to the idea that there's this you know young man peeping in on her? And and yeah, so you you you, you know, there's there's a, a little commentary on on Polish society and perhaps more broadly you know, kind of Western culture in general and the, the mores of, of, of the era that Kieslowski is documenting here. So lots and lots of different dimensions to explore. And, you know, it's, it's all, you know, very, very well-crafted and, and, and really right there for us to analyze and, and dig into. Yeah. As usual with uh, Kieslowski, there's, there's lots of layers to unpack. There's, lots of different versions of what love is in within the film within the text of the film as well as uh you know what we bring to the table as viewers about what our concepts of love is because when you think about it in the most basic sense you're kind of thinking about love in the basic way in which tomic uh our uh, our male protagonist uh is is kind of viewing this concept which is you know this deep bond this connection where you kind of uh it's almost like a hopeful, romanticized uh, 
you know childish concept of what love is which is you know uh, watching someone and you know being a part of their lives and kind of seeing their secret version of themselves in which uh, you can therefore you know he ends up kind of exploiting a bit which uh, gets him to where he wants to be because he doesn't know how to make those uh, those connections um, you know for those who haven't seen this film I guess uh, a brief uh, so uh, stories about Tomek uh, this uh, this young man who uh, lives in the apartment block that we've been visiting in this whole series and uh, he uh, uh, rigorously and lack of a better term, religiously uh, watches uh, his neighbor across the street, uh, this, this woman named Magda, older than him, and uh, he spies on her, and he builds this relationship up in his head because it's one-sided. Um, he doesn't make contact with her, but then he slowly starts to kind of leave her messages in her post box, which gets her to the post office where he works so he can start seeing her face-to-face -face a bit more. Um, and then he makes a bold uh, statement of, I've been watching you and I love you kind of thing, which uh, she turns into this playful game of uh, teaching him kind of a, a lesson in love, and uh, it ends up going very, uh, very wrong. And uh, we follow their, their kind of uh, relationship, first from Tomek's side, watching her, and then from her side, uh, waiting to see if he returns, which is uh, which is an interesting shift that uh, that duality of the uh, of the film and of the episode. And uh, Matt, what you were saying about the episodes being so very different, uh, well, to me they felt very different. Uh, with with a short film about killing in episode five, uh, there were some tonal things and there was more character building for sure. And, uh, you know, one cut versus the other cut uh, just got a little more uh, visceral and violent just to kind of drive the point home. But this this one definitely uh, it had it's it's a lot different. The tone, the pacing and the building of their relationship is much more uh, handled with a lot more care um, it is the first one. the 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 episode feels rushed. It almost feels passioned and frenzied, and kind of uh, let's just see where this goes. Where the the film really kind of takes its time. It it places scenes in different order um, to kind of draw out the uh, the relationship and the building of it, which I find to be like super super interesting because it, it it is a completely almost almost a completely different feeling. We still get the same emotional beats, but. Uh, one feels like, you know, oh, this is pervy and I can't believe it's going here, where the other one feels like, oh, I can see how this could develop. And uh, it's uh, it's definitely seen in a 2019 lens. There is some uh, stuff where you kind of feel like it's a little, uh, this shouldn't be the right way of uh, forming a relationship. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it uh, it kind of, it ends up, he pulls, he pulls it off and it kind of works in a way that uh, is unexpected for me. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the 2019 aspect of the movie. Um, I, I think what you're re re referring to is the uh, gender dynamics uh, uh, and sort of the uh, inappropriate nature of his uh, spying, uh, which was, uh, I think, quite depressingly a recurring theme in 80s movies, uh, especially mm -hmm. in sort of American uh, teen comedies, things like Revenge of the Nerds, where they... Um, pretty pretty 
clearly, you know, sexually assault essentially <laughs> um, mm-hmm. a group a group of women um, to to more innocent things like the boy looking through the binoculars at the girl taking off her shirt and seeing her in her bra and uh, just sort of regular Goonies type movies that are aimed at 11 year olds. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, Porky's was the whole marketing of that film was an eye through a people (laughs) into Um, a girl's shower room. But I think there's also a 2019 and sadly it's, it's not just 2019, but uh, the past uh, 20 years of uh, American culture uh, feeling of this film of uh, the, the sort of the angry white shooter um mm-hmm. you know this guy uh could quite easily be painted as um uh, a, a a lonely disturbed man uh you know lives in not his mom's basement but somebody's basement <laughs> um right. and uh and you know uh is sexually repressed and feels like the uh, female race is against him and doesn't understand his true love nature and deep sensitive side. Uh, and, uh, you know, here he lashes out, uh, at himself. Um, but as, as many people have pointed out, he, he quite easily could have lashed out at her and the film would have taken a very different turn. Um, yeah. Rather sure than a telescope, it, you got a gun, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. and, and you're, at, you're, well, rather than running home in in embarrassment uh, to to slit his wrists uh, in in his bathroom, uh, he could have quite easily turned on her. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, as 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 the mom wa- uh, watches uh, the the uh, the incident happen. Yeah, this easily could have been called a short film about killing as well. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that aspect of it for me is always going to be difficult to fully embrace. And, and it's an aspect of Kieślowski's movies that I feel a bit uncomfortable about. I, I think this this concept of viewing love from afar began for him with his first student film um, and has uh, cropped up semi-regularly since then. Um, I think he has a deep connection, um, whether it's intellectually or emotionally, I will not psychoanalyze him, but, um, he has a deep connection to these men who are these young men who feel like they are somewhat lost in the world and, um, see, uh, the feminine ideal as this sort of untouchable, uh, unapproachable, um, prize or, um, you know, uh, ideal, um, to double use a word, but mm-hmm. I think, I, you know, I think there is that running through his films and, and here I think it reach, it reaches its, uh, its height, I guess, until red really. But, um, you know, there is this feeling of, of, um, just like, no matter how much what happens afterwards happens and where she goes emotionally. And I think her character is, is fleshed out um, pretty effectively in the film. It's still coming from this place of, of, you know, are, is this just entirely designed for us to feel sympathy for uh, a 
creepy predator who (laughs) was watching this woman through a window. So that aspect of it uh, prevents me, I guess, from sort of fully embracing this film the way I did uh, a short film about killing where the, you know, and maybe this is just my simplistic reading of it, like the morality of the film lined up more with my own perception of the world. And this is a bit more challenging for me to kind of wrestle with like do i really feel like this is a story that needed to be told hmm. well you know I, I, it is interesting if you look at the two versions you've got the the episode and the film and given the um influence of of the the lead female actor i i i i, I can't pronounce her name I, I i haven't practiced that but you know she she had a pretty big say in recasting the ending for the feature yeah and i i don't want to engage in gross stereotypes but you almost have sort of the male resolution and the female resolution of this story um in in the episode you've got the man saying i'm done with you basically you know jumping into spoilers i guess uh you know the the suicide attempt basically broke the spell He's had the time away. He's regrouping his life, and now he sees her, and it's like you know, it's over, and and she recognizes that, and basically her her early uh, you know pronouncement that that love is basically just you know coming in your pants. <laughs> it's kind of like kind of her blunt assessment based, maybe you know, projecting a little bit on her experience of of romantic relationships with men and kind of where she's at in her own life and she's trying to kind of wake this naive young boy up to the realities of things uh in the in the more feminine centric version of this story there is a an emotional uh kind of connection here when she recognizes that he saw her crying and in that you know quote-unquote fairy tale ending of the film she you know she imagines what maybe he saw when she was having her little breakdown moment and romantically um, recognizes there's something beautiful in this uh, innocent young man who sees something special in her and, and maybe she feels a little bit encouraged or lifted up by the fact that she can be, you know, put on a pedestal, so to speak, or she can be recognized and appreciated as a person uh maybe even a little bit idealized and she takes some kind of satisfaction from that because the men that she's used to hanging out with just kind of see her as a you know the as the acronym nice ass easy lay um that that's kind of the um you know the assessment that maybe she's internalized a little bit because that's how most of the men in her life view her you know i mean in the moment they're all passionate and into it with her but once it's done it's done and they and they move on and she's kind of left you know standing so i don't know i mean there are some interesting dynamics but the whole idea that uh a young man with his telescope is entitled and privileged just to peek into whatever windows uh, might be available to him to see what's going on and the minute he his glance uh, lands on a on a shapely woman's body uh who's willing to keep the curtains open while she you know does her intimate thing i mean yeah there is there is absolutely a a point of of male privilege and i would say it's even somewhat unconscious i mean even though kieslowski is very deliberate and um 
very very strategic in his filmmaking um going back to that culture and that dynamic the idea of men looking lustfully at at curvaceous women was pretty much just considered that's just a basic of human nature you know and there's nothing really to be questioned about it and i mean and you've got you know decades of cinema you know history preceding that saying yeah that's exactly what movies are about is is guys checking out the babes you know and uh, we are in an era of of you know uh reevaluating all of that and so you're right there is a there is a, a filter and assessment that needs to be made and i and i don't really i personally never found tomek very sympathetic i mean I, yeah. I felt bad for him because he's an orphan and he's been traumatized and he is kind of shut up in his own kind of mental conundrum about what to do with his sexuality and his desires um but he's going about it the wrong way entirely yeah, and I don't say, uh, you know, I don't say what I've said um, to sort of um, condemn the film. Uh, I think it's, I think there's, there's, you know, as Travis said, there's just so many layers to this movie. And I think there's a lot going on here that is uh, very rewarding. And I think in many ways, this is uh, the somewhat ironically the extended film is the deepest representation of what Kieślowski was going for in the Decalogue series uh, in the sense of just the connections between human beings um, and the desperation of it um, as, as I was watching uh, or as, as I was reading about the the feature film I had the thought that like this is almost like a good version of the movie crash, the Paul Haggis movie. <laughs> like there is, there is like it, but with the racism pulled out the, the overbearing racist theme pulled, pulled out of it. Um, cause there Wait is this crashes about racism. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, there, I mean, there is, there is this feeling of like just the desperation of these people trying to make a connection in any way possible. Um, and even if that, connection is done in a messy nature i mean in so many ways i think both both uh both of the halves of this film are about the people recognizing the humanity in this person that they have somewhat objectified um and and think that they have figured out in a very surface and um you know, ultimately a reductive way. Um, and so, you know, I think the value of the film from, uh, from the perspective of kind of examining humanity and the, and the, the, uh, humanist qualities of Kieślowski's work is more valuable than any of the problematic issue. Um, I mean, I think the biggest problem I have with it is just the, the fact that I think, Kieślowski probably didn't have the the wherewithal to to kind of question how likely it was that the audience was going to be willing to go on this journey with Tomek um, after kind of establishing him in this role, and so therefore wasn't able to work hard enough to get us back on his side. Um, because I do think there's sort of an assumption of sympathy for him when he does what he does. Um, but that being said, I don't think it's a 
I don't think it's a fatal flaw of the of the film. I just have a tough time res- wrestling with it personally. Yeah, I wonder if that uh, that connection with Tomek that you're talking about. I wonder if that is inherent in the design of the film, because once we have that act happen of him uh, opening his wrists in the in the sink, uh, we never come back to his point of view ever again. Uh, we stay only with uh, Magda as a point of view. And so if we look at it in terms of it's, it almost is more of a film about us getting to know Magda as a character. Uh, You know, so we see Tomek's point of view of how he views her, which is this uh, free sexual being, this artist. Um, You know, he works at the most boring of boring jobs he works as a post office you know something that has been derided and made fun of here in the united states for you know years the postman or the uh, post office being this uh symbol of uh slow and uh you know uh, bu- bureaucratic uh, red tape and nothing happens there and you know and he has this job and and she is this uh, artist who's making this, you know, artwork and working freely and kind of coming and going as she pleases and taking lovers as she wants. And so this idea of we see her as this sexually active, uh, artistic, free person. And then as we get to know her through his eyes and then get to know her through her point of view as we get as the film shifts midway and we take only her side of things. Uh, we get to see how damaged, fragile, and uh, <clears throat> uh, we get to witness a lot more about what she is. And we our opinions also change uh, as we get to know her, which is which is a very interesting thing. And I wonder if that has you know not not the shift, but I wonder if that has something to do with uh, uh, Grashna's. Uh, uh, influence on the film on how to end it how to change some things to make her character less the uh hot next door neighbor and more into a full fully functioning character herself um it's it's it is this is what david said earlier about um her going to the uh the uh, spyglass and envisioning herself there crying at the table um, you know, that's a layer of this film I, I didn't even consider, which is this idea of self-love, uh, her coming to terms with uh, and growing as like a person that kind of recognizes that she needs sympathy and compassionate caring as well as this, uh, you know, her jaded idea of love, which is just sex and, you know, this fake, this false idea of what love is because of how she's been treated in the past by other men. Um, that concept of her kind of realizing that she doesn't need that kind of stuff um, and, you know, witnessing herself crying over spilled milk, which is a hilarious just visual <laughs> you know, cue. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which it, it, that isn't the case, but that is, you know, that is, you know, the concept. So... It's, uh, you know, it becomes a, it becomes a, uh, you know, the layers become more and more evident the, the harder and harder we look, which is also the visuals cue of uh, the more and more we look at her, the more and more we get to know her. Um, and so I think that disconnect, like you were saying, Matt, about uh, how we can't really, uh, you know, there's a presumption of sympathy to the male character only because it is made by, a, you know, a male and that idea of, 
loving someone from afar and that romanticized idea of kind of like being the perfect mate it's like the uh you know the incel fantasy guidebook to how Mm -hmm. to score a babe um Mm -hmm. it's it 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 does become something hard to bear witness when we see the uh the opposite or not the opposite uh different ends that we are witnessing nowadays with how uh these stories end not so much in this uh act of violence against oneself but usually an act of violence outward it is hard to connect with that for sure well magda is objectified and i think this is this is kind of part of the challenge of, of viewing this film in the contemporary context it's like and she she acknowledges that you've been stalking me, you've been harassing me. It's not just the fact that he's been yeah. peering in on her through this telescope into her apartment. He's set her up to be humiliated with these these fake notices, with the whole milkman routine, uh, stealing her mail. I mean, good grief, how yeah. intimate can that get? I mean, he, he mm-hmm. really does violate her on a number of levels. And you know if this movie were to be made today i think she would have a much fiercer and you know reactive and and kind of demonstrative response i mean she would not give this son of a bitch the time of day because he's he's really creeped her out and he is not entitled to that kind of privilege and space in her life that that is kind of more of the type of response that a woman in this situation, I think we would expect, especially in, in film, which I think tends to be, you know, a little bit more progressive and, and um, I'm not sure exactly what the word is I'm looking for, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's going to kind of mark the territory that says this is what's acceptable and what's not. And, and I think what we see here in this kind of, you know, uh, you know, late 80s production is that that's kind of where the boundaries were established at that time is that women just kind of had to shut up and take it and maybe they protest but in a more of a mild format than uh, what we might allow or expect from yeah. them today. And that's that's just a really fascinating object <laughs> to consider in its own right mm-hmm. uh, because Tomek really, you know, kind of deserves to be bitch slapped for some of his yeah. conduct here and well, and that's going to be a breaking point perhaps for some younger viewers in particular yeah i i i definitely agree with with that assessment of sort of the 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 timing of this film being made versus now um but i do think there is a place for um people who make mistakes or are damaged or um, don't have the expected uh, enlightened response to actions like this. And so um, I think it it would probably be more difficult to make this movie today, but I, I don't want to discount entirely the idea that a woman with this character, the character that they've created here could have this response um, and it would be, authentic to who she is as a person um because i think you know people do do illogical things quite often and i think ultimately the fact that she doesn't you know sort of end up declaring her love for for him or anything like they don't end up together or anything like that um 
it it's it's much more for her you know she is angry at first and she is using her sexuality which is the only thing she's known how to use uh for at least the time that he's been watching her against him um to get back at him for the thing that that he did to her um and so it, it is more much more about the realization of what she wants in life than about her kind of accepting or um uh you know getting the the revenge that is truly deserved of uh from him and what what he did to her um because i think that ending for me is probably less the the ending of the film um for me is less about um her seeing him or her seeing herself through his eyes in terms of being um, idolized uh, and more about the idea that she doesn't have to be alone and that there uh, that that she has this realization that at her most lonely at her most uh, you know her lowest point that there was somebody there with her um, and I guess mm. part part of the mm. the the uh, the deeper aspect of that comes into the, the meta component that Kieślowski has been flirting with through his career, which is the fact that for all of these people in the Decalogue that we've seen up to this point, they're all so lonely and they're all just sort of desperately trying to find somebody that they can make that connection with. Um, we have been there through that experience and we have been watching them and, uh, in the, in the, I think it's in the, uh, the episode, I get them mixed up sometimes when I was trying to sort of clarify it, but in the episode, we actually see her through the window before we see Tomek watching her. Um, and mm. it just seems like it's the camera as if, you know, it's, it's similar to the episode one where we found, um, uh, the, the boy, uh, Pavel, I think is, was his name. Um, in the window, uh, you know, watching the, the pigeons, uh, it's, we don't yet know that the clerk that she interacted with, uh, and in the opening of the episode will be at all important in this story. It could be the notice itself. That is the relevant aspect of this story. And so all we see in that moment is the camera finding another one of these apartments in uh, in the the complex that they've been covering throughout this series, uh, and it zooms in on her underwear uh, as she goes to uh, to answer the door or to grab something, uh, and in that moment we are the the stalkers who are um, you know peeping in on her experience and her life, and we don't yet know that there is an actual character who is doing this. Um, so there is this. Uh, this dual layer of the idea that, um, you know, these characters are alone and separated and they can find meaning through each other. Um, but we can also find connection and meaning with the characters in TV or in movies and have that relationship with them and both they are not alone and, and we are not alone as well watching them. Right. We, we find our points of connection with these different characters. And I think 
even the um, the voyeuristic aspects of this film kind of confront us. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'll just I'll just kind of confess. I was expecting because when we went from the TV version to the cinematic version that there might be more of a you know, nudity type of shot, you know, where, where, uh, Grazhnia, is that how you pronounce her name? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see her, you know, more fully exposed and you, you do mm. see that in some of the later films and there is that kind of, uh, titillating aspect and, and you, you never get that <laughs> from the cinematic version. I mean, you know, and, and so I have to even challenge myself as far as what am I expecting to see? How graphic is this going to get? Is the sexuality going to be pumped up now that we're off of the TV network, you know, the, the Polish communist censorship uh, controlled TV versus what they're maybe perhaps more free to show in cinemas. And Kieslowski in some sense maybe teases viewers but doesn't fully deliver. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it just works on so many different levels here. But I, I, I also believe the, um, you know, the empathy that we do end up feeling for this this woman uh, is is a very powerful accomplishment in, in both versions of the story because, you know, she does go from this objectified, you know, to use a word that probably wasn't as in circulation back then as it is now, but she was a bit of a hottie. And, and, and now she's a more textured, nuanced, you know, fully sold woman who is kind of looking for her own... Uh, way in this world and, and, and is perhaps, you know, settling on some things and establishing a route forward for herself. Uh, we can speculate as to what happens to her as well as Tomek after the end of the film. But, um, yeah, I do appreciate the journey he takes us on as we kind of explore her character beyond uh, just the, the the attractiveness or or even the sense of of um, strength. I mean, she's she's definitely got a great presence on screen. You know, she's a, you know, she's got a great look and uh, you know, poise and, and all of that. Um, but I, I like the humanity that we discover as we get to know more about Magda. Yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a lot of man. See, this is this is once again. When we all get together to talk about this film, just so many doors open up for conversation and new mm-hmm, ideas, mm-hmm. which I just, which is my favorite part about doing all this stuff. Uh, there's a couple, yeah. there's a c- couple fantastic points in there, like that idea that Matt was talking about with this, uh, the the deeper the deeper understanding of Magda realizing that she, uh, she there is connection, there is someone there, or she wants comfort, or there is someone there who was with her, or I think maybe David talked about that. Uh, that in her lowest moment there was someone there feeling sympathy for her i mean that could be that could be uh re uh recontextualized into this concept uh which is the bigger concept in this film of uh the spiritual this uh you know we're 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 looking at the 10 commandments throughout this piece and we're mm-hmm. looking at this idea of of uh, the concept of God influencing uh, their lives, our lives, uh, and the lives of the characters. And, you know, we don't, I'm trying to remember in my mind, uh, when she sees herself through that that uh, telescope and she is sad and someone comes and comforts her, it's not explicitly Tomek that's comforting her, correct? Like, we don't see his face. We see a hand brushing her hair and leaning in and kind of hug, like, giving her some comfort but do you guys remember is it tomic i can't visualize that i think the implication is that it is him 
Um, but he's wearing but just, he's wearing the same coat, I think. The blue coat, the yeah. blue kind mm-hmm. of trenchy. Okay, yeah, so it's you know it's that concept of you know at your lowest there is someone there that's kind of with you. You know, even if you think about the most basic terms of uh, you know the the parent scolding the child with God is watching you. You know, behave. There's, you know, you could take it all the way down to that in this uh, observation thing of, you know, even though you're acting on your own free will, there's this, there's this presence that is watching you. Right. Not to mention the watcher. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have the, yeah, the watcher witness character who in this one also is kind of, um, it's weird. Uh, he he's he smiles at the joy and exuberance this uh, young man is feeling as he's pulling his bottles of milk because, uh uh, you know, the girl has, has agreed to a date with him. Um, yeah. but you know, which, which is, which is strange. He's like, all right, look at him go, you know? Well, yeah. Is... And we're supposed to be like, what cheering fist yeah. or something like, right. yeah, he's got a score with the well, name. You know? And I think that's part of that, uh, male perception of that time period and of that generation of, you know, uh, you know, not fully enlightened at the idea that, you know, we, I, I don't know if it, I agree with that. I think it, I think he's, I think it is intentionally ironic. I mean, he's, ta- he's, he asks her to go out for ice cream, you know, and then yeah. they get to the place and they don't serve ice cream there. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, I think I think it was intentionally like he is is positioned so much. And by the way, I just looked up and, and you do see you do get a really good look at his face at the end of the okay, movie. You so do see at, it, fir- at first, see. it's just a hand and, and like you don't see his head. And then they, the second shot, he sort of leans in. Um, so I think you, so I'm so him. I'm so focused on her that I wasn't really, yeah. you know, I yeah. didn't take the whole picture in, you know, for my yeah. For my but I, I do think he's so positioned as as the um, as this naive little boy who is you know sort of playing a game truly in this situation. Um, you know, I mean, I think there is like it, it's sort of a common theme of of this like the 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 dirty little kid that like thinks that he's in love with uh the older woman and the older woman is like oh like let me show you what love is uh like i think it's a kind of a convention at this point but i think yeah they are definitely setting him up as being over the top kind of like uh completely naive about the interactions that they're having yeah, it's and it's that it's that old uh, it's that old concept of uh, the youth go to the older lady to get more experience to become you know to become sexually active. It, you know, it's something that's I just watched the summer of forty three the other day, which is, has the same kind of concept. You know, the young inexperienced boy, uh, you know, gets seduced by the older lady, and and you know, and, you know, it was allowed entry into the world of manhood. It's you know, it's the Joseph. Uh, it's just Joseph Campbell, a bestowing of gifts by the uh, goddess, uh, you know, which, you yeah. know, it, you know, it's been around for a long time and it's that same concept. And it's uh, it's definitely a uh, <laughs> a dated one. That, well, know, right. Can... It's 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 the conventional wisdom of a past generation that's been kind of, you know, past its expiration date now because we sort of see the limitations of this of this mythology and then just even the inappropriateness of it, you know, like, you know, just hang out with women your own age and, and come of age and, and understand that you're not the first person to ever go through this experience and don't treat it like some kind of big old breakthrough, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, well, this also seems like a good time to, to mention the religious 
aspect of her name um the sure. you know i mean Magda, it, it, right. yeah it's right. it's it's pretty clearly a mary magdalene reference and um i mean in the old sense of Mary Magdalene, the whore, who exactly. was brought to repentance, and yeah, was and made virtuous after her conversion. Right? Yeah, but you you could you could argue that she she brought a different perspective to Jesus that he that you know there was uh, a little bit of of a um, an added uh, texture to his perception of you know what was going on and like but she brought something to mm-hmm. the the perspective of this person who was uh without sin um so there 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 is a a reading of this character as being somebody who is uh beneficial to him to tomek as somebody you know the there's a there's a reading especially of the final final uh moment in the episode of him growing up of becoming of fully understanding the implications of what he was doing and how he was feeling and that it wasn't um truly love and that like love is this other thing Mm -hmm. um you know that he's moved on not in the sense of um even knowing that it was wrong or or no longer being interested in her but just of being uh a, a man of being you know not no longer a boy and thinking that this is just cute and uh exciting yeah did did i guess what in the television episode where he just bluntly states i no longer watch you, yeah um which is like you know saying i no longer love you because that was his, only his concept of love is watching her from afar because he couldn't uh understand how to make that connection uh, in in real life um i i never I almost didn't even take it as growth. I took it as a uh, new obsession. Like if you if you look at it through the lens of this is a movie about obsessions and not about uh, and not really about love. Like it's a it's you know uh, someone watching something, wanting to possess it, wanting to like uh, have it be something special that they they own. I mean, we could put it into any kind of obsession, really. You know. Uh, you know, even if we go as far as our obsession with, uh, you know, collecting physical media that we have, you know, it's this concept of like, <laughs> this is what we're focusing on really yeah. hard right now. And yeah. this is everything to us. And then it becomes, well, now I'm into comic books. So <laughs> I'm it's over like, that. It's like, yeah, I'm over that. You know, hey, no, I don't do that anymore. Well, I think that's I'm a I think now. that's a worthy reading, especially if you look at that ending from the perspective of Magda, because she's she really looks crushed in that moment. And to me how she's viewing that is that realization that it was just this wild obsession in his life and he's moved on to something else and what she's been what what the process that she's been going through over the second half of the episode is is her starting to feel like wait a second like maybe i was wrong maybe there is real love and real connection on an emotional level to a human being and even if it's not, you know, I don't think that she learned, grows to love him or to to admire what he did in any way. But I think she uh, put places him, you know, in in a different sense on a pedestal as this representation of like naive, naivete and purity, and that there is the potential for her to uh, transcend 
her lot in life and the the world and life that she's built out for herself and then it turns out that there was nothing there except for that base obsession and and sort of animalistic urge and now he's Mm -hmm. over it and moved on yeah or even to put it very cynically maybe she found thought she had a boy toy (laughs) of some sort you know that that a young man that she could uh you know bring in to satisfy her own desires and shape him uh as she would i mean yeah lots of different interpretations but i think the idea that she saw him as somebody categorically different than the other men in her life and now that appears to be over right is definitely very disappointing. Well, the way they structure the episode is structured very specifically because it opens and ends with an exchange uh, at the post office. Um, yeah, and you know he's basically playing a game in the opening scene, and then in the closing scene, he's telling her that the the game is no longer happening and that it's finished. Well, it's even even though the the read that i that i kind of take away from is more of a i don't even know if she loves him in that in the way that he thinks he loves her it's more of a it feels more of a uh, a maternal love like i've hurt someone and i've hurt something there's this instinct to kind of want to make sure that they're safe and okay because we realize that you know she realizes the damage she has done and how kind of for a second how cruel she was and how it, it's hurtful because if he is a child then it's that feeling of you know she's gone from you know you know if we go from the mother to the whore back from the whore to the mother this you know that kind of that that dual concept which you know is always uh is always stated as terms of how to uh, perceive women um you know she feels this sense of responsibility and obligation to him because she has hurt him her actions has caused him to try to kill himself and so her searching for him is more is you know could be you know pitying this pitying love of like oh no i've hurt something and now i just need to make sure it's okay and right that, sh- that that dismay of her is is almost at the end of the episode not the movie that that dis- that look of dismay on her face is more of a like all this worry was for nothing. He doesn't really even like, it doesn't even register to him that, uh, you know, what he did also has caused her worry. And, you know, and it's, it's such a strange, uh, that's why that feeling of the episodes feels so different from the movie is because it's almost like it's teaching a different lesson, uh, in the episode than it is in the film. Like the episode is teaching more of that kind of, uh, uh, if you put yourself out there, sometimes you're not going to get back what you want. Um, whereas the uh, the film kind of really kind of delves into this idea of making connections and feeling yeah. connected. It's it's such a strange, uh, you know. It's 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 amazing that you can do that. The, have such different feelings and different tones with the same material. Just uh, yeah. it all depends on how you lay it out. Uh, the uh, the, the structures is, is is pretty compelling, uh, especially, you know, we know how he likes to play with uh, variations in story, in the same story, mm-hmm. you know, his uh, fate, you know, fate and chance take you different places. 
you know, he could probably cut this movie four or five different ways. You know, you could easily turn it into a a, a thriller, a dark thriller of yeah. some nature where he's spying on her. You know, which we a rear seen window. Another, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I think regardless of the interpretations of each of the endings, um, and I think there are many and uh, that are equally valid. Um, I do agree with with what David said earlier uh, in the, the gender divide here because it does feel like. Uh, even though uh, you know um, Magda's face is the defining component of the uh, of the episode finale, um, it is more about what his journey meant to her and how he is handling what he's gone through. Um, whereas the movie ends very much focused on her character and it doesn't really matter what he has done or feels about it um or really anything other than the fact that he was a person who was sitting across the way watching her in this moment and that there was something profound about that for her um i think that divide is really what makes these two pieces so hugely different because they're it's very difficult i think with the film ending to look at it as any sort of a implication or resolution of of uh, tomic's character whereas the the episode has much more of that what do you think of the framing of the of the feature where you start with a shot of Tomek's arm bandaged up and Magda's hand about to touch it and I mean it the 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 feature really has the feel of a flashback you know because mm. it starts with the you know we don't even know if we're watching the feature as the first you know viewing of this story we don't even really know what's going on but it is very interesting how uh, the not only the endings of the two productions but the the beginnings are are starkly contrasted as well yeah it's 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 pretty compelling because it start it sets you up with a a mystery you know what's Mm kind of going on what is this about and it's very it's very clear the uh well not not very clear It, it the message that it's sending right away is this idea of like there's a damage and we want to comfort it but we're not allowed to you know, there's that, you know, you see this bandage arm, there's a hand that reaches out to touch it, and then there's another hand that comes in to stop that from happening. And, you know, then we then we go into the film, like, proper, and we, we don't know it's a flashback until we get to the end of the film and realize kind of what the, or, you know, even if it's not a flashback, just that, that tonal thing. It's the same thing he did in a, a short film about killing, you know, the first thing that happens is we see this dead dead cat strung up. And, you know, you have this like, okay, woo, <laughs> we're, we're getting serious right away. This one is like this idea of this, uh, this mystery. And there's this, you know, a little bit of danger and this little bit of, you know, we don't kind of know what's going on. And so as the story uh, progresses and we realize what the scene is truly about, uh, it's, it's even less so. It's more, I, I don't even know if she's there to comfort Tomek as much as she's just curious at this is the kind of damage I can do as a person who does if if you're not if you're not careful of how you interact with the world 
and then the the landlady who we haven't talked about a lot yet but there's a whole other kind of you know uh, layer of obsession with her and Tomek kind of you know she wants to spend lots of time with him uh, you know her there to stop that from happening and then kind of like showcasing how you know this is his room here's the here's the telescope that he looked at you from here's the alarm clock that uh you know like look at look at how deep his obsession is with you so I'm now going to protect him from you because obviously you're the reason why this is happening it's you know it's almost victim blaming like it's your fault this is all going on because you're so pretty and you're across the street and you're with your free love yeah. and your artsy ways if, if, if this movie if this <laughs> movie was sit uh, and watch TV yeah, if this why don't mo- you just sit and watch TV <laughs> with me <laughs> if this movie was a giallo like she would 100 percent turn out to be the killer at the end of the oh movie. yeah she has this yeah, very she would have slit like, his off vibe you know and like i don't know what she's on about with the arab girl like i wonder what movie they went to like it there's just a like with her son uh writing the letter um there's there's just this this you know calling him in for the the uh, for Miss Poland, uh, it's just the whole thing just feels very like I don't know what she's. Um, I don't know if she has like sexual feelings towards him or if it, she's truly trying to like be a mother to him. It's very um, unclear. And then when she shows up at the telescope, all bets are off. I'm just like, this lady is yeah. bizarre. Well, I, I see her as the guardian of conventional morality. She's she's the you know the kind of Polish, yeah, not matriarchal because I don't think she's really in command of a whole lot. But but she's kind of the voice of you do what's right according to you know whatever the standard mores of the time were in Poland. I mean that's that's how I project that. Maybe that's my own baggage. I don't know. But but she seems to be you know she's kind of taken Tomek in as her object of interest you know her son has run off her son is kind of flighty and and maybe she's compensating because she can't really express her full maternal uh impulses on on her own son but she's got this kind of orphan boy that she's taken in Uh, so that's been my read of of her character she's kind of there to kind of remind him and and she has to use a little shame and guilt to kind of keep him in line she will and she of course you know turns those same impulses on when magda shows up and uh you know and so yeah she's basically there to say you shameless hussy look what you've done to this poor boy (laughs) you know uh what do you think about the scene with magda's lover uh, who calls tomek out after you know he's been made aware that there's a a leering stranger you know snooping in on him and he runs you know he, he basically gives up his love making so that he can go prove his own point i mean that was an interesting little accent in there as well well it's funny because he's he's styled and dressed to almost look like uh, kishlowski <laughs> uh, he has that you know there's yeah. pictures of him in that same kind of leather jacket and his uh, kind of uh, tussled uh tussled hair from back in that time so you know if you if there was ever a uh, you know proxy director proxy in the film it's very interesting that it'd be him uh you know for that but that's just that it's almost kind of like that juxtaposition of the different types of of men mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you yeah. if you you know you have him being the kind of like the artist the photographer you know with his mustache and his uh, sunglasses and kind of uh that whole machu you know machismo versus the uh the buttoned up uh, guy in the tie who she's also been taking to bed 
and you know versus Tomac. So you have these kind of like almost a uh, cartoonish, uh, you know, uh, caricatures of uh, of the men of that time, and you know him having to go out and prove that he's a tough guy to the point where like when he sees how young the kid is that he's about to deck, he's kind of like, oh man, he's just like, all right, we'll put him up, and the guy you know puts up. <laughs> gives him a pop in the face and says, all right, don't do that anymore, obviously, right. even though I've probably done it a ton of times, but I'm embarrassed that you yeah. caught me. Well, it's, it's the same kind of shit he had to put up with, so now he's going to pass it on to the next generation, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's kind of like, I mean, it's interesting. He, he, he just feels like an extension of the mystery around Magda in this movie, um, because in every other previous decalogue episode there's some sort of uh reveal of the like some sort of secret or um component of the story that we don't know yet um and yet we're never really we never really get that with magda here um like we know you know we know she has these different men in her life although i think we only see one i think we only see him in the episode we see multiple or we see another guy in the in the movie i think uh that sort of like businessman um that she meets at the door um but we we don't really find out sort of why she's crying we know she you know she storms out of the car we we're very much at a distance from her um in a way that we aren't for the uh characters in the previous episodes and he feels like an extension of that like is he he's a photographer like is he like uh, a similar artist or is he like the you know uh, gallery manager or something like it's very unclear you know and then what he what does he do to to bum her out so much um it it all feels very um uh murky intentionally so i think well, and that's like that old pickup line of uh, "You want to come up and look at my uh, look at my artwork." Yeah, you know, you know, come upstairs, come look at my artwork. So she's is, she's like a weaver, right? Yeah, it's that's uh, the, it. Took me a little while to figure out kind of what was going on because she has an image of what she wants the tapestry to look like behind the tapestry she's making. Yeah, you know, she's got that sunsetty thing, which plays into later when she feels bad and wants to send him a message it's a uh, it's telling she uses the back of her artwork to send this message to tomek because you know it's that whole you know using her art to convey a feeling which is kind of a ni- nice little touch when we're looking at you know you could do a whole separate reading of of just uh how we interact with art in this film uh as as this as the text of of what what he's trying to convey is you know beyond the whole concept of love um that's pretty interesting but yeah i want to say i think i think we do uh in the short we do see the businessman because he's the one who puts his hands down her underwear at the beginning oh, okay um yeah he is there he's not as i think we see a little more of the fight in the parking lot uh that leads her to crying in the movie than we do in the short uh, excuse me in the film than we do in the episode yeah but uh yeah it is a it's it, yeah her as an artist is something that's a you know it's it's a little more prominent in the longer version of the film we see her spending more time kind of like working at what she's doing yeah versus the uh, short film where it's just kind of there it's actually it becomes confusing because you really don't know what she does in the short uh as uh 
as uh, clearly as in the is the longer film. Yeah, when you see her playing solitaire a little bit more, like up front, um, you know, I think probably a pretty pretty clear uh, <laughs> allegory. Yeah, a very there. good shorthand for yeah. uh, hey, we need her to be lonely. What can we have her do? <laughs> There was only a card game for lonely people. Um, the one other thing I want to mention is that uh, to answer uh, David's question about the opening from a, a little while ago, it's just the uh, connection to the um, anointing of uh, Jesus's uh, head and feet, uh, which is largely interpreted as uh, being by Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there and and you know the fact that that is included in the film rather than the episode prevents it from sort of being a mirror of the the opening of the first uh episode of uh, seeing uh Pavel on TV before um we know that he eventually will die um here we have in the film uh this sort of flash forward to uh perhaps a, a moment of grace that comes out of um, a tragedy or, or sacrifice for as, as he would most likely see it. I mean, I guess that's, that is the other question about the, the suicide here, which we haven't talked a ton about. Um, does he do this because he's embarrassed? Does he do it because he realize you know, he, he believes her and realizes like I've been, lying this whole time does he feel bad about spying on her what and 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 sort of as an extension of that does he say he doesn't spy on her anymore because he just tried to kill himself um or is it the 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 growth or learning of the experience that he where he interacted with her yeah, I mean, it could be any number of those things, and I think they're all pretty viable tangents. But, you know, that that sense of humiliation, of kind of what a fool I've been, yeah. and, and that's that's often a mark of maturity. It's like you sort of recognize the, the silliness of your ways, not even so much the error on some kind of a moral uh, uh, basis, but really just more <laughs> how, how naive, how uninformed, how foolish and impulsive I was, uh, that, that, that really, those are the stages we go through to what, you know, we then come to regard as maturity. It's like, you know, putting those childish things behind us. And I think the suicide attempt, uh, to me, it's, it's another kind of traumatic stress reaction I, I think you know it's it's very subtly played but this kid has been orphaned you know he really has no roots no no place to stay or to fit or belong in this world uh, he's wound up in this apartment with his friend but that friend has run off now he's under the care of this kind of strange crazy old woman and he's really and you know we've already talked about the, the aimlessness of his job i mean you know there he is kind of a stand in for any number of of youth who are situated in positions that are really temporary very ephemeral don't really define them for who they will eventually become but they this is where they're at right now and i think and i think that actually does make him a little bit more sympathetic because you just realize how disrupted his whole life has been presumably up to this point and now he's acting on uh you know stimuli that <laughs> probably he would be 
you know do a lot better to get a handle on and i think you know the the suicide attempt is just another one of those sort of dramatic overreactions you know mm. not not only does he see a, a glimpse of an attractive woman through you know the the juxtaposition of his apartment window versus hers but now he's going to obsess over it he's he's gotten fixated and now that he's kind of had that moment he's pressed his hands on her thighs and he realizes he's not maybe the man he fantasized that he was and he really can't handle the truth you know to kind of use another you know a cliche of, of the era um you know, he's he's kind of overreacting by saying my life isn't worth living and is that an act of desperation? Is it an attention-seeking gesture? Is he just so under the sway of his foolhardy emotions that he doesn't even know what he's doing? Y- yes to all of the above, you know? Um, but now he's had that critical moment, and that's, I guess this is where my social services work comes in. I mean, I've I've been with any number of teenagers who've done incredibly stupid things you know as suicidal gestures or actual attempts that may have actually killed themselves without intervention and that's exactly what i see happening on screen here so i I understand how quickly that line can be crossed in the lives of you know certain young people who've just been through a lot of different stuff in life so that part didn't surprise yeah. me as much or or didn't seem unrealistic no 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 not uh, at all yeah, yeah i mean I, yeah. I i think uh, like it's also very clear that he has uh, a stunted emotional life and has no way to sort of process his emotions um mm-hmm. you know he asks at one point he, he asks the the um the, the godmother why do people cry which is a pretty clear sign that somebody's got <laughs> some things wrong with them yeah Um, sociopathology yeah so i I think go ahead oh i was gonna say i mean if we if we were to take it just as a uh purely artistic visual statement um you know the idea of getting her out of his system you know just straight up just letting his blood Mm. the red the passion just flow out and being done with it and putting a you know an end to that you know pent up feelings for her you know he tried doing it physically he tried doing it uh by talking he tried doing it physically and he failed there so the only other way to get her out of his system is to kind of uh release all this red into the world and then be you know be then be able to turn and just be like you know yeah i'm done with you uh, i'm all set now uh, i've this has run its course you know it's that it's that uh and it's funny, it, not funny. It's a, uh, it's interesting because, uh, in the in the film, she has that moment where she goes into his room and sees him there, uh, you know, having recovering from his wounds, and she kind of like is in his world for a second, looking at how he views her. Where in the short, she never gets that moment. She only finally sees him at the post office, and right. when she just you know flatly states, "I'm done watching you." And, you know, so, you know, it's almost that kind of like, you know, you can even take it to that, <laughs> you know, that very simple level of, you know, uh, that was a conquest and I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've met this conquest, you know, I've had sex with you, so now my interest is no longer about you and I've moved on, which, you know, could also be taken as that look she gives as, you know, this has happened to her many a times, you know, uh, finally someone is obsessing over her. They ask her out, they ask her out, they ask her out. They finally get her into bed and they moved on. 
and that you know it's that same kind of feeling if you if you if you look at the bloodletting as the attempted suicide as a means of expelling her from his system then that kind of plays into those other story elements as you know another example of uh of release this pent-up release you know he punches the hole in the wall because he has this pent-up and pent-up feelings that he can't uh get rid of and then he goes over there and you know when he finally touches her uh in a sexual way you know he uh he ejaculates in his pants and so he kind of has that release but it doesn't feel satisfying and then goes and has this third release which is the final thing that kind of you know gets it out of his gets it out of his blood and and it's over now and it's uh you know it's kind of a weird it's a weird metaphor but it it works in terms of the visual uh the visual uh storytelling in the film and in a way it's kind of confirming what she told him you know after she sees that he's you know had his release in in her apartment she says that's what love is you know so he's basically like wise up kid you you just you know you're you're feeling horny you've got to get it out of your system once it's done it's done and that's kind of the wizened woman's you know perspective of having been through this cycle with you know any number of men she's basically kind of enlightening him to (laughs) what it's like as she's seen it play out you know over the course of her own experience and yet you know the the feature film kind of shows that you know uh, maybe from a more feminine perspective there is that longing for something more it doesn't have to end there what about the um, cinematography, the filmmaking in this movie? Um, this is uh, a a sort of one-off uh, cinematographer that uh, Kieślowski worked with, um, and it's uh, it's a, a pretty dark movie um, for for a lot of it. There's a lot of shadows and and some uh, there is some some sort of stylistic lighting in moments. Um, that big red. Uh, glass door or window uh, shows up um, semi-frequently, which I think is mm. really cool and reminiscent of a, a later film, most obviously uh, uh, Three Colors Red. But I, um, I was curious what you guys thought of it. It certainly feels like a less stylized work than some of the previous uh, Decalogue yeah. episodes. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, out of out of all of them, this is the felt the most conventional, like mm. how how this would be filmed normally like it doesn't feel like uh you know there isn't these big aesthetic uh visuals like in a short film about killing with the uh all the extra glass on the lens to you know distort things or the uh really hyper stylized version of i think it was a three uh yeah three i think and uh you know we talked about some of these uh the visuals lending to each each thing and this one it doesn't like you know you could see this as you know because it's so conventional you're trying to have this conventional love story idea which could be you know could be the reason why i went that way i think this i think this episode has better the most art direction in which there's more symbolism in that color play you know uh, between uh, everything in her apartment being red, this passion red, and him being blue, this muted, uh, you know, everything is inside of him. I think I saw, I read in one of the, uh, one of the Kieślowski books, uh, this idea that uh, blood is blue until it's released into the world and is red, which kind of helped spark that idea, mm. that visual cue of releasing his blood. Uh, 
and then you know you have the white milk so you do have that red white and blue kind of uh <laughs> you have your colors in this one as well um which is very it's just very interesting you know and we haven't even talked about like the milk as a symbol for sure you know both you know the feminine of uh you know sustenance and nourishment or the white of the you know uh, semen spilling his seed you know there's times where you know it's spilt over there and or when she interrupts him in the hallway it breaks and it spills again and it's that you know there's that symbol there but i think art directed this is this is one of the better ones the i you know that the symbols are there uh in the image uh just camera wise or lighting wise it seems pretty uh standard yeah yeah, I don't have the same immediate frame of reference that you guys have, having watched all the previous episodes more recently. But I, be, I did, I did find this aesthetically a very you know, beautiful film to watch, and you know, you just you, you always have to respect the you know the craftsmanship, the style, the assuredness of Kieslowski and whatever crew he happens to put together. So, I you know, I was fully on board with just the. Uh, the stylistic aesthetic elements of the filmmaking uh, but I've pretty much come to expect no less uh, with any uh, with any production with his name attached to it it, it feels very much like he is uh, continuing to move towards a more kind of art house aesthetic um, away from the um, kind of uh, more documentary uh verite approach of his early films uh he is getting a lot more poetic a lot more lyrical and even in a film like this where the lighting or uh cinematography is not necessarily as stylized um it still feels like there is a kind of deeper meaning behind the images as opposed to it trying to depict true reality to a certain degree uh, and that's also i think underscored by the music of preisner which is um, quite beautiful and uh and often uh, i think overwhelms the vis visuals in some of the kind of quieter plot moments yeah i think his it's a it, it has the at the score has that concept of kind of like a romantic film where the music is doing some of the emotion for us. Yeah. Um, you know, which kind of offsets what's, you know, you could, you could make a really satirical, you know, not satirical, I guess that's satire. You could make a, you know, a really satirical version of this where, uh, the, uh, you know, the character, uh, is in full bloom as a love story, but it's really that that story of obsession that isn't working. You know, it's it plays opposite of kind of like what the feelings are. But I really think that Tomek's character, um, a lot of the emotional heft is because of that score. Like how you know him feeling how we're feeling uh, because of the score. Because you know he does he is for most of it a pretty kind of. Uh, blank slate when it comes to his expression of his emotions so having that score there kind of under you know really bring forth like how he is feeling emo internally uh in that score it kind of it helps out a lot with kind of connecting with him as a character it's a it is a really beautiful score it does walk the line though i think of creepy like there's some moments that especially like where it's just like sort of one piano note at a time that I almost thought of Eyes Wide Shut um, a little bit, 
like there there is this feeling of like uh disintegration as well in the in the score like there's there's this ideal of romance at the beginning that is is slowly turned into something uh a little bit spoiled to uh extend the milk metaphor it's funny we i you know i talk about the the uh visuals the the cinematography being kind of simplistic or stand and not not standardized but kind of what we come to expect of most modern films in terms of how it's shot but uh reading about how this was filmed like you would think by watching this you're like okay they picked two apartments in that block we look across to that Mm. one we look across to that one yeah we're inside we're inside but there was like 10 locations the exterior of that building was a different building uh you know just of that window they had to go and find a different house and they built a platform across the street and used it with a long lens to be able to see inside but then when we go inside that building it's another different apartment and then the same goes with his apartment. It's a different apartment outside than it is inside. And their apartment is made up of four different apartments because he couldn't get the bathroom he wanted that looked like, you know, as it was, it's just all that complexity that goes behind and then uh, subtly weaving that together and editing to make it feel like it is of one place is always, always one of my favorite things. That's one of the concepts that always still, uh, uh, baffles people when i'm just like oh no the inside of that house we're over yeah. in clinton but the uh, outside of that house is over in uh, devon's and we you know it's just you know that that concept of creating a uh creating a uh, you know shaping space uh by uh in the editing process and making everything feel like it's together as one whole thing is a uh, is one of the uh, most magical parts of film that i uh, i love the most so reading about that really kind of made me happy well in true characteristic fashion kieslowski paints that as uh, sort of the absurdity of filmmaking um when he's talking about it and how how silly he felt um doing doing it that way um, but I agree with you. I mean, I think it's it's sort of ingenious, and it's also just another indication of just how massive an, of an undertaking this series was, and the fact that um, you know he went to those lengths to film a story like this, which is rather intimate and seems uh, somewhat simplistic relative to some of the other episodes especially something like three where they're running all over the city and going to wildly Mm. different sets um this seems like it would have been uh you know they they would have been able to knock it out in a week or two uh when in reality yeah it was it was a much more significant undertaking Hmm. well i have a question for you guys having watched all the episodes do you think they chose the right two to expand into feature films Mm -hmm. That's a see. It's funny. I was thinking about that earlier. I was thinking about how uh, Kieślowski wanted to extend five himself. He wanted to tell that, that was story. his choice. Think, yeah, yeah. I think Matt Matt brought that up earlier, where he said that is the most uh, the the message that he wanted to convey to the world most clearly was this idea of how he felt about capital punishment. And this one, it almost feels like Tor. <laughs> could see this as the money maker right i think yep. like what you were talking about earlier david with the when we expanded into the film is it going to get more uh 
uh, more uh, sensual, more sexual, more overtly sexual with nudity and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, because of expanding into the longer one, especially if you look at a short film about killing where it gets more violent, you know, that idea that when we get into the feature length version, the violence is really, really put forth uh, and forward into the narrative where this one you're like, OK, well, we're going to the feature. So obviously the the sexualization of everything is going to become more graphic and more uh, more overt, but it really isn't at all. It's a uh, it, it becomes a thing. So I think Tor probably fell into that same trap of well, let's do the one that has sex. That'll make us something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that's probably true. I mean, uh, it's been a while since I've seen uh, the later ones, and I know Travis hasn't hasn't watched them yet, but. Um... I uh, you know and I mean nine comes to mind, but it's been a while since I've watched it. Um, the first four they just feel very. Um, they they feel so contained and uh, and perfect as they are. I'm not sure how you would expand them. Um, and at the same time, I mean, I think five is perfect in that uh, sense for, for expansion. Um, and what he did with it was so clear in terms of building out the world around it. This mm -hmm. does feel like he was forced into a situation and um, Grajna saved him a little bit with this ending, because I do think that um, there, there does feel like, you, despite the differences in, in the stories and there are sort of more complexities to the characters in the feature length version, it does feel padded out to me a little bit. Uh, there's just in terms of the pacing, um, there's choices that I don't necessarily think are needed considering the themes and uh, characters in the film. And so from that perspective, I'm not sure that uh, that I 100% needed to have a longer version of this film, but I think the ending allows these two works to interact with each other in really fascinating ways that that make this uh, you know a worthy expansion. I think I would number two would be one I would like to see expanded out. Yeah, I think I think the subject and what they're trying to get at in that one. Uh, could be could be in, uh, you know sp spread out a bit more to make us understand uh, a lot of the character yeah. motivations. For I think that's a really good reminded. choice too, because like yeah yeah oh go oh, well, I'll, I'll, yeah for those of you two is the one where it's the uh, the woman whose husband is potentially dying and she's pregnant with her lover's child and she's at that crossroads of wanting to either keep the baby if her husband's gonna die or or abort the baby because she doesn't want to upset her husband because they've been trying to have a child for a while. So I think that one, uh, more, you know, the moral complexities in that one could really be mined more deeply because you get to know the characters even more, which would, I think would add a lot. Yeah. To that one. And similar to killing, um, the two main characters in that film, they don't know each other and they have very much separate, but distinct, uh, but, but connected, um, uh, moral quandaries and that mm -hmm. would I think building out each of their characters separately um, and perhaps even the husband as well would allow for um, more uh, interesting interplay with those moral quandaries that would yeah. you know uh, be, I don't know necessarily know that it would 
benefit from a longer time, but I think you could make, you could enrich what is there in terms of, uh, you know, adding another 20 to 30 minutes, which is essentially what he did with these two films. But it's an interesting question, David. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know which one I wouldn't want. The, the sexual cat and mouse of the father daughter. Yeah, I probably before. don't. Need, I don't need any yeah. longer of that. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely one where you don't go into the feature hoping to see some nudity. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think you know, there's each one of these early episodes could quite easily be a feature. Um, just because there's, there's so much, uh, fascinating to talk about. I mean, we've, we've had a feature length conversation on each one of them. Yeah, um, absolutely. so yeah, I mean, I think it, there is, uh, things there, but, um, I mean, I think part of the beauty of the Decalogue is that there are so many little nuggets that don't get followed, um, but help deepen the overall story um you know there's just these little tiny details and they're present in this one as well the 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 son working in um in syria with the un and um the mm -hmm. fact that he was a um a uh um, an orphan who learned to speak uh with bulgarian because there were two bulgarians at the orphanage and he has an affinity for languages like that's one of those things that's just sort of mentioned in the film but isn't mm -hmm. pursued uh in any way and not and not necessarily like inherently connected to the story in any particular way and yet i do think it sort of just adds another dynamic to what we're seeing it's that fantastic like that's the that that's the stuff when you know i'm just i marvel at the layers and that kind you know a lot of that writing between uh kishlowski and uh Paisovitz, you know just that 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 is a character trait of that character that he longs for connection so much that he's going to learn like 10 languages like he's just he's working on all these languages because he you know he's like a little tower of babel he doesn't want that 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 inability to communicate yet he is completely incapable of communicating uh you know forthright in in his in his life and he hides behind this uh you know this looking glass and you know that whole syrian uh you know i i almost coded that as he's dead like <laughs> like it just it felt like you know she's making up like it's that uh you know my dad's missing, so I've turned him into some sort of superhero. He's out saving the world, and it's almost like her son just like left, and so he's this, you know, oh, he's in a, he's a, he's he's helping in Syria rebuild the, you know, rebuild the villages, and it's like, well, is he? Mm. Like, I don't know. It kind of feels like you know, he's gone and left her, and now here's the substitute son that she can then, you know, pine on and uh, devote and dote on in in the house, but. There's also, you know, there is a bit of that, you know, there is a weird sexual tension in their relationship as well in that, which that could be also mined, you know, it's almost like a Cloris Leachman uh, last picture show, you know, she, yeah. has, she has some sort of love left to give in here, but uh, no one's uh, taking her up on it yet, you know, it's a, uh, it is, this is uh, his, for short films and for very simple uh, concepts, there's so much there's so much that you can ex 
not exploit, uh, unearth and uh, mine and shape and form into different uh, spurs that could be uh, very interesting subject matter in his films. It's uh, that's that's one of my favorite things about this journey, is just seeing like how complex uh, his films can become with just you know a little bit of analysis. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are we are gonna uh, rank. A uh, short film about love is slotted into uh, the films that we have, have covered previously. Um, do you have a favorite uh, Kieślowski film that you've uh, watched to this point, David? Well, I, I think Double Life of Veronique and, and Three Colors Red are probably the two that jump mm-hmm. out at me in most of my memory. Um, we haven't really gotten to those points in your journey. Oh no, you're so. you're you're open. Um, you can do whatever. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I I would probably say that this is you know this one right here is is what would I say the top of my list. But I I can't say it's a really well informed or well considered list. But um, I'm I was pretty taken by this and and probably the the forced discipline of really having to reflect and dig in on it and think what do i have to say about this how does this connect to my own experience here i mean i have been a foolish reckless young man i have been in my own share of obsessions and been obsessed about so i could i could kind of connect with these characters in different ways and i've been the the moralizing parent for all that right. <laughs> so yeah there's there's a lot of real life in in this film and that's that's again what i really appreciate about Kozlowski is not only uh, the the uh, aesthetic and the technical uh, superiority of his work, but the fact that it really taps into how life really goes for real people. I, I like my fantasies and escapism and, and all of that, uh, but uh, Kieslowski is very grounded in reality, and uh, he can go deep, and I, I really appreciate his ability. It's, it's like he's like a, a Bergman in that sense, in that you... You are you are really confronting the real world and and exploring it and being challenged by it, uh, rather than just kind of having a, a little escapade that uh, takes your mind off of the, yeah. the nitty gritty of things. So yeah, and you are the well you are done. the second person uh, that we've had on these uh, Decalogue uh, episodes who has a career in uh, for a uh, religious organization. Um, do you view the Decalogue as a religious work, uh, or, or well, this I think particular it, yeah. uh, episode, uh, in, in, you know, or in general? I mean, I don't know that you see a lot of religion in terms of conventional, you know, yeah. uh, expressions of faith, but it, it certainly touches on those kind of more spiritual aspects of life. I mean, our connections with other people, uh, those kind of more tenuous or invisible relationships that that developed in the most unlikely likely of circumstances. I mean, and, and how our fascination with a person who maybe is outside of the boundaries um, can kind of hijack our lives, both for the effect of enriching it, because it, it, it allows us to explore dimensions of ourselves and of other people that we didn't really acknowledge or even knew existed. But it can also work to our detriment. Um, you know, it can it can really mess us up when we when we step over that line and find ourselves connected to people who will only complicate things, and it's just not going to end well. Once we've kind of gone down that road, there's no easy resolution. You know, because of other commitments we may have, or differences in age, or culture, or just temperament. But for whatever reason, we find ourselves you know, compelled by this other person. Um, it, you know, it breaks the rules. Um, 
but I, I do believe it in those breaking of rules. I mean, I think there is a religious uh, and spiritual component to um, violations of orthodoxy. I mean, there's there's the rules, and then there's the exceptions to the rules, and that applies not only to legal terms, but just spiritually. I mean, what are we supposed to do? What's the moral thing to do? And yet sometimes we find ourselves in situations where the moral thing to do doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with those dilemmas? How do you express it? How do you resolve that? How do you explain it to other people? And and where do we have to be on guard against our own sense of denial and, and unwarranted privilege and, and all those, all those complicated uh, decisions that have to be made in the living of our lives. Uh, Yeah. I, I think this is a profoundly spiritual film on that level even though the uh, you know the authorities of, of, of church and dogma and doctrine might not be really right. visible or apparent on the surface, at least. That's it. Uh, great stuff. Um, Travis, uh, what do you think about a short film about love? I, I, I like it a lot. I mean, it's, it's you know... As as we've as we've discussed in, you know in other episodes and as we continue to work our way through, uh, Kishlowski is a uh, is a director of growth. Uh, he's always always bettering himself. He hasn't had many deep missteps that has set his career back. You know we, you know you can lo- look at lots of other directors and say like you know two steps forward, one step back in terms of their either their choices or their continued. Uh, focus on uh, a certain subject matter that kind of uh stagnates their uh their vision and or in their you know their growth and their change and as they are as a director and uh Kishowski, every single time he's building he's building upon something and working forward you know he still has the same uh concerns and uh ideas that uh have followed him since the beginning but as as he moves further and further away from this idea of Poland being the centerpiece a lot of times in in what he's doing uh and he focuses more on the inner uh the inner soul or the inner workings of uh, humanity and and what it is to be human in this time in this place um it keeps on getting better um the more he focuses that way um, I find it interesting that, you know, uh, we talked earlier about how the actress, uh, uh, Grasnia, uh, Shapilovska. helped shape yeah. the, yeah, helped shape the ending to this film because, uh, she wasn't, she thought it was too, too sad, too bleak. People wanted to feel something, uh, uh feel hope or some, some sort of something more than just kind of disappointment, um, in, in a film. And so she, you know, made this big effort to kind of help uh, move move this narrative a different way, and and it's also kind of it's also kind of telling that uh, after they're working together on the film No End, uh, they had a bit of a falling out. I don't think I don't know if she was unhappy with the production or just uh, maybe her and Kishlowski personally had some some sort of friction that just didn't. Uh, didn't pay it play out the right way because he had to he had to convince her to be a part of this project they weren't they were not on real good speaking terms before he uh, approached her with this and when she read the script she liked it a lot and wanted to be a part of it but you know in working through their character development of her character she definitely 
uh, wanted to have some input on this, which I think uh, benefits this film greatly. Um, I think, as we've pointed out, uh, you know, we've had lots of him at having a male subject, and it's later when he starts introducing the female subject as his concern, uh, the, his films really blossom and take off quite, uh, quite dramatically, almost like when Ingmar Bergman really started focusing on the female story and how that kind of changed a lot of his perspective and a lot of his uh, uh, filmmaking style and really kind of shaped him going forward. I think that's the same thing. After No End, when he focused on her character, uh, <clears throat> him seeing this as another showcase for that level of uh, talent uh, from his uh, female character and wanting to bring her back in the fold. I think she's the piece of this movie that really draws me into yeah. it. Her performance is absolutely uh, you know, fantastic. But if I were to uh, rank them, Matt, if we're going into that world, if we're, we're going to do that, then I guess, you know, same, same ranking as last time. The scar is still at the bottom. Uh, short short working day personnel the calm camera buff no end blind chance i put short film about love here because the just the power of a short film about killing it it eclipses almost everything else it's 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 way too powerful a film to kind of uh take that step back uh you know there there is progression here but it's a different sort of progression i think i i react to the uh the nature of a short film about killing more than a short film about love. So it kind of pushes it forward in my estimation. I'm glad that you uh, brought her up and her work on no end as well. Um, Cause that was something that I wanted to mention. Um, and I think her performance here is uh, possibly even more uh, layered, nuanced and, and beautiful than it, it was in that film. Um, and this movie her character does almost feel like an extension of that character and the film itself becomes a little bit of a reworking of that you know the dead husband is watching her through that movie um and here you know and here we have uh this this other character uh watching her her um experience grief in a in a similar way um so I, 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 that is definitely the aspect of this film that I respond to the most. And I think without the ending, if the film had had the ending of the, of the episode, I probably would not be as enthusiastic about it. Um, and I still am somewhat mixed on it, but uh, I, I will probably uh, slot this in. Um, we have the, the same ranking um, but uh, I'm going to go a little bit differently. I'll, I'll put this behind, just behind Blind Chance, which I, I still think kind of, uh, I find a little bit more engaging, cons consistently engaging, um, and uh, as I mentioned, a, a little bit less problematic. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's, there's a lot here, and I think that final ending of incorporating a somewhat fantastical element uh, is going to um, build into um, Veronique and Three Colors in a way that uh, nothing that we've seen from him at this point really fully indicates. Um, and I also feel like Preisner is working at the top of his 
game here and is only going to get better as it goes on. So I think those two components make this feel like a valuable progression for him. And, um, and, you know, ultimately this is a, a very memorable and, and moving film. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think killing is the superior of the two short films, uh, by, by a pretty wide margin. I will say this is the, this film is the least Polish feeling film out of all of them. Yeah. There's no sense. There's no sense of the Polish system being a part of this. Like even the mail, the, the post office is still just like a yeah. post office that we would have. And, you know, uh, I think this could be the, this is a very good for people who, you know, don't want to delve into Polish culture history or that, you know, those things that he kind of weaves into his films and, you know, which helps enrich the films in terms of uh, the cultural placement of his film within their culture. Um, this one is yeah, kind of removed need, from that culture. Yeah, completely. you don't need any of that, any of that context really at all. Um, David, thank you for, uh, for another wonderful uh, conversation. Um, we, it's always a pleasure to talk to you about movies and yes. we're glad to have you on for this one. I yeah, really Jamie. appreciate the invitation. Thanks, Travis, and uh, no, this no. was a good time. No, thank you. It's always awesome to talk to you. Uh, so next time we will be reverting to our two episodes uh, per podcast discussion. Uh, we will be covering episodes seven and eight of the Decalogue. And Travis, we have the uh, the end of this little mini series in our in our sights. Only two more of these things. I know it's kind of it's it felt so daunting at first and now as uh, we're going through these it's uh it's daunting has turned into delightful <laughs> I'm really I'm really enjoying these like I, I you know there's part of me that kicks myself for you know why haven't I watched these earlier in life but at the same time watching them this way and uh being able to talk about them with all of our guests and with you has been a uh, has been, I think, the best way for my for me to uh, watch these films. So, uh, well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to to close out this series, and yeah, I mean, each each one of these is so rich and um, worthy of investigation on its own. But um, to but combined together, I think it's it's a pretty monumental work of art. So I'm looking forward to discussing those with you next time. And with that, we're complete for another week. 25thframemedia.com, a listener-supported network.